Welcome to episode 60 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, I'm changing things up and doing a question and answer session with Natalie from the Spouse Angle. We both asked each other questions about podcasting, our life experiences, and what we're doing today. And it was a really fun interview to do, and it'll give you a little bit more insight about who I am and what I've experienced and a little bit of the advice from the questions that Natalie asked. So taking a little break from the interviews and doing something a little different to have some fun. So let's check it out. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Women in the Military podcast. We're going to do something a little different this week. My friend Natalie, who I met through a mutual friend, and I are doing a question answer back and forth so you can learn a little bit more about us and a little bit more about why we are podcasting. She hosts the Spouse Angle, which is a podcast focused on military spouse news. And she grew up as a military child with her dad serving in the Army. Welcome to the show, Natalie. I'm excited to have you here. Hey, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Do you have anything you want to add to your intro that I missed? Yeah, so I'm a journalist, started this podcast recently for military spouses, and my goal is really to break down the news for military spouses and their families. I'm excited to do this back and forth interview. It should be fun. Yeah, so we put out a call on our social media accounts and got a good mix of questions, I think, some personal, some professional. So yeah, I think this is going to be really fun. One of the questions that I got that I think would be a good one for both of us to answer and to start with is what made you want to start your podcast? So I'll throw that to you and then I'll answer after after you. So I have had a blog since 2014-ish and I did a series in 2017 on deployment stories. And so then I was really fascinated because mainly women responded to the call and I was just, I couldn't believe the stories I heard from women and I wanted to hear more experiences from women. But when I was posting them on my blog, I wasn't getting the reach that I was hoping for. And so there was this new thing. I guess it's not that new because it's like seven years old, but I guess it's getting more (laughs) popular. And people were talking about podcasting. And I was like, I have all these interviews. Maybe I could interview people for the podcast and then I can start sharing stories in this medium and see if I can get a better response and farther reach. And so that was kind of why I decided to dive in with the podcast. And I still post all my show notes as blog posts on my blog. So I still have my blog too, but I don't really do writing as much as I used to. It's mainly just taking the interviews and putting them on the blog. Yeah, that's cool. Now I get to ask you, what made you want to start your podcast? (laughs) Kind of similar. I mean, podcasts have been taking off and I've been a journalist and mostly a print journalist. And I most recently was covering veterans and military families for one of the leading publications aimed at that group. And 
I felt like, yes, there's news for military spouses, but a lot of it is directed at the active duty service member or the veteran. And so there was kind of a gap with news out there for spouses. And I don't want to put anyone down out there doing that and rocking it right now. But I felt like there was a gap, especially in the multimedia universe. And like you said, podcasts have been taking off. And so I felt, you know, military spouses are always on the go. Here's a way that I can kind of put the news in a format that they can listen to when they're picking up their kids from school or commissary shopping or, you know, doing all this. I was talking to friends I have who are military spouses who are like, yes, please, like, give us the news because a lot of times they're relying on their service member to tell them about new things that they should know. And you know this probably as a military spouse, (laughs) that that sometimes it doesn't always get relayed to you. And so you're just a little bit like, what's going on? So that's kind of why I decided to start this. Well, and what I like about your podcast is like, I keep up with like my husband's in a career field that's near the Space Force. So I know a lot about like what's going on with the Space Force and like all and what's happened with the NDAA and all that stuff. But I don't know, like, you just recently covered like commissary updates. And I was like, what? There's commissary updates? I didn't even know that was a thing. And so it's kind of cool that you're covering stuff that like matters to me, but sometimes doesn't get attention because people don't really think about how important that is to military spouses. Yeah, well, thank you. That's, that's my goal. And kind of the, the last straw on this, like why I decided to just go for it was actually kind of funny when I went back to work after having a baby in March, the nursing room that um, us moms had to go pump in was the podcast room at my at my uh, company. And so the joke was that when we ha- would have to go pump, we would say, I'm going to record a podcast. <laughs> and so then from there, it just kind of kept getting in my mind like, oh, maybe this is something I should actually do. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you another question. So you are a veteran yourself and you left the military. So what was the hardest part of leaving the military and becoming a military spouse? I think I had this idea of what it was like to be a military spouse and stay at home mom. And, you know, like the grass is always greener on the other side and you can't like see all the like private struggles that people have to go through. And so I was like, blindsided by how hard it was to care of a baby to especially my husband left two months after my son was born and so I was alone in Ohio for eight weeks and I was like losing my mind because I had gone from like being around people to being with a baby and nothing <laughs> yes <was going laughs> yeah nothing was going like I planned and so it was like a huge identity crisis to like lose who I was and then become someone who I didn't think I was going to become. It was like, it wasn't like I had this idea of who I was going to be and that's what happened. It's like I had an idea of what life was going to be like and then that, like the opposite happened. And so that was really hard to like come to grips with because everything before in my life had been like, I would train for it and then I would go and it would be like pretty much kind of like what I expected. And then I would mm-hmm. train for it and then I'd go and then it'd be like, and so the, to do, to become a mom and to leave the military and be a military spouse, what I thought was coming and what came were like two totally different things. So that was really a struggle. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a military spouse, but I can kind of relate on on some level that, yeah, when you have this baby and I never in a million years thought I would leave my career, my job 
to stay home with my kid. And now I'm a freelancer and I, I continue to work from home as you do. But yeah, you lose your sense of you, right? Because it's all into this little being that can't really communicate with you yet. So someone said it's like breaking up with yourself because you have to like break up with who you were before you were a parent and then find a new person and like rediscover your whole life. And I think it's a really good way to put it. Yeah, that's good. Never thought about it that way. So my turn for a question, (laughs) what has been your favorite military story that you've covered as a journalist? That's a good one. So one that I did semi-recently was actually sad, but it ended up having a cool ending. Last spring, actually, I covered a story that 380 patients at Walter Reed were looking for kidney donors. And the woman that I profiled was a military spouse. She was 25, 26-ish years old, and her organs had gone into failure. Her kidneys had gone into kidney failure because of preeclampsia in her pregnancy. So I was pregnant at the time, so I was like relating hardcore with this, and I also had preeclampsia towards the end. So it was just really, really sad, and she looked at me and was like, I don't want to die. But here she was on dialysis multiple times a week. It was so sad, and I talked with other people at Walter Reed, too, who were going there so often for kidney dialysis. Well, so I wrote this story that there are 380 patients at Walter Reed looking for kidney donors and kind of educated people about kidney donation and how the donor can really go on to live a normal life. Well, come to find out, Walter Reed was able to share the story around and got a huge response for potential donors to come through. And I actually had someone email me not too long ago saying, I read your story and I donated my kidney. So you saved someone's life, which is like baffling because in journalism, you are constantly getting critiqued and lots of criticism. So it was nice to see how the story actually potentially saved someone's life. So that was probably one of the coolest moments for me in my career and especially covering the military community. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And you're right. I think you get a lot of negative feedback and then people often forget to share the positive stuff with you. So that's cool that you got to hear that end of the story. Yeah. All right. One for you. Let me see. What was it like being a woman in Afghanistan? So the way the people of Afghanistan treated military women, I went to Afghanistan in 2010 and obviously in 2001 was when the towers fell and all the military actions started taking place. So we had been in Afghanistan for about eight years when I got there. And the Afghan people had determined that American women were kind of like a third sex. It's not like we were, they had their women and then we, and then men were pretty much the same. And then women, we were kind of like, And in between. And so they knew that they had to deal with us because that was how they would get paid. That was how they had to work with the American women to be able to operate in the war and that sort of thing. So I never had any like personal struggles. One of our local national engineers was constantly letting us know that if you don't have a child within your first year of marriage that you're considered broken and it's always the woman's fault and it's always 
and it doesn't matter. They have birth control, but it's very important within their culture that you have a child within the first year or you get pregnant within the first year of being married. And so even though we explained like that we were both using birth control and we didn't want to have kids, they like couldn't get past the cultural difference in that aspect. And they still saw us as women, as like women should be having children. That's what women do. And one time one of the contractors was talking about his children and he had like 22 children. I think he had three, three or four wives. And we were just like, oh my goodness, that's so many kids. And he was like, American women are lazy. <laughs> it was just funny because like he was thinking like his wife or his wives were not lazy because they like produced children and they took care of the kids. And like that was what he saw as like important. And sometimes like in American culture, it's like working and being a mom and doing all these things. And he saw having like multiple children and being a good mom as a really important quality. So I thought that was really interesting that like they worked with us like on a professional level, but then they like the cultural, whatever they expected women to do. And when we weren't doing it, they saw that as like negative or like being lazy. And so that was kind of interesting. Huh. Yeah. So my question's going to be, what are some stories you remember from your time living near or on a military base as an army brat? Okay. I have some great memories from when we lived in Panama at Fort Clayton, which I don't think is still in existence. So this was early 90s. So I lived on base and we were sitting in the back of our little patio and right behind the housing, the base housing, I mean, it probably seemed a lot like smaller distance to me as a kid, but it might have been a little bit longer. But there was a jungle in the back that kind of surrounded the base housing, or at least that row of houses on the end there. And four men came out of the jungle day. I'm sitting there playing on our little porch, carrying this giant anaconda. And my friend and I were just like watching in pure terror as they carried this anaconda, like in the back of base housing. I don't know where they were taking it, but that was terrifying. And I hate snakes to this day. <laughs> Lots of memories with animals there. I um, Another funny memory was that I was playing outside with my friends and I sat on this, what would turn out to be like this ant farm or whatever. And I got like fire red ants bites all over me. So that was pretty bad too. <laughs> and how old were you when you were in Panama? I was six when this happened, five or six. So yeah, we lived there. We moved back to the States when I was six. Okay. So do you remember like the difference in culture? Like was it a culture stock coming back to the United States after, or were you kind of protected because you were on the base? Yes. Um, so I went to school, though, off base and church off base. And my mom is actually Colombian. So I grew up in a very bicultural family. My dad is American. My mom is Colombian. So living in Panama was kind of being part of that Latino culture. So yeah, no, I didn't really feel that at all. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Question for you. How do you not blame your spouse when quote, the mission requires them to work long hours or be gone for trainings. So this is really hard. Even <laughs> though I served in the military and I understand like the mission, blah, blah, blah. 
I I still struggle with it. And I guess I have to put myself in like my military mindset and mm-hmm. remember to like point the blame at the military and not my spouse. And I I tell my husband that I'm angry or that I'm frustrated, but I also make it clear that I'm not angry like with him. I understand like this is his job. I understand it's the mission. But I think a lot of times, sometimes what I've noticed spouses try and do is they're like, everything's fine. It's okay. And they like try and be like the perfect spouse. And the military kind of pushes that on us that we're supposed to just support. And I think you can support, but you also have the right to be sad, angry, frustrated, and you shouldn't feel bad telling your spouse that that's how you feel. Because if you're trying to like hold all that inside of you and not tell them how you feel, then I feel like it'll explode in anger or explode in depression, or I guess that would be implode. But you know, if you try and keep all these emotions inside of you and you don't share them with your spouse, then you just isolate yourself. And I've also learned that like when I because I when I was in, I didn't want to work 12 hours for a dumb exercise. Like I wanted to go home, but my husband travels a lot for work and I know that he doesn't want to be gone all the time. And so when he's home, we try and focus on that. He's home and we just try and focus on it. And then if I'm having a really rough week, I tell him. And if I need a break, I tell him. And I think just having open communication and being honest with how you feel and just to make sure that you're like, I'm not directing this at you. I know that it's the military and that you want to be home, but you you can't bottle it up and pretend like everything's happy because being a military spouse is really hard and there are a lot of challenges. So, yeah. Is your husband going to be in for the full 20 or, or more? Yes. And how right. long do you have left? <laughs> We're at, I don't know, 12 and a half. Is that right? Sounds okay. about right. 12 and a half, 13-ish years. Yeah. Maybe we're at yeah, and Im- imagine if you like were silent and just bottled all that up, you know, over the course of so many years. Yeah. And I think sometimes like when you move, like people are like, oh, but you're moving. It's exciting. And I'm like, but actually it really is hard. It's hard to move. It's hard to leave your family. It's hard to like help your kids adjust to a new area and people just want you to be like happy and like Instagrammy and like that's yeah. not real life. Totally. Preach. <laughs> oh, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Why did you decide to step away from journalism? You mentioned that you went back to work and then you decided that you were going to do freelance. And why did you make that decision? So, had a baby in March, was on maternity leave, went back to work for really a month. And then during that time, I had a lot of um, family things that came up, to be honest. And so that played a a big decision into my decision to leave my full-time job and freelance. I had freelanced before when I was in grad school. So I had, thankfully, I had a lot of connections in the space. I had written for the Washington Post magazine. I'd written for the Atlantic, different things like that. So thankfully, I still had some of those contacts that I was able to reach out to. So I knew I was going to be okay. But really, the flexibility to be able to stay home with my kid, and thankfully, I've, I've been able to get some childcare. 
Um, even though I'm, I'm here at home, so I can actually work. <laughs> um, cause you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so that's really why I decided it was just a mix of like family as well as like a professional decision that now was a good time to just be able to have as I needed more flexibility in my career. All right. Question about male military spouses that, um, someone wanted to ask you. How do they support their spouses and what advice could they give to new male military spouses? It's a demographic that I know is sometimes hard to to reach and to even get on my podcast. So I'm curious to hear what what your take is. So I feel like male military spouses and female service members have a lot in common because we're both like super minorities in a space. And I have seen a lot of like, trying to be more uh, open to male military spouses. But for me, as a female veteran who nobody catered anything to me because I joined the military, they still did. Like, they went to the bars for, like, the after-hour things. They went to, like, do paintball. They did all this stuff that, like, I particularly didn't care for. But I did anyways because I wanted to be part of the team and I joined the military. And so I feel like the best way that male military spouses can, A, make a change in that military spouse arena and to support their spouses is to get involved in the military spouse community. And I think it's really hard and I give credit to the guys who do do it. And I've met a number of guys who are involved, but I think that the only way the events are going to change and the gifts that you get for winning different prizes and that sort of thing is to get involved. Like when I planned the socials when I was on active duty, they were things I wanted to do. And I feel like sometimes I hear male military spouses complaining that the event is something that they don't want to do, but there's no male military spouses involved and planning any of the events. And it's like, if you want the events to be something you want to do, then you have to get involved and you have to create events like the spouse group that I'm currently in we have a hard enough time getting the women to attend events that we want to do so we plan stuff that we want to go to so that people will show up and if you want people to show up like I'm not going to plan a paintball event or (laughs) like I'm not going to plan like a male-centered thing because I'm a woman and like I don't want to do that but there are women who might want to do it and maybe there's other male military spouses that we don't even know about because they don't want to get involved but I think if you want to if you want to be a in part of the spouse group it takes doing something you really don't want to do probably and to get involved when i was a lieutenant i was in my husband's squadron as a military spouse and there was the commander's husband was a male civilian he wasn't in the military and he came to every spouse event and we did like etiquette dinners and learned about like retirement and all these different things and i don't know if he wanted to be there but we loved <laughs> having him there and he gave us such good feedback and impact and like he never complained about what we were doing he just showed up and we were just happy to have him there and to have his support and I I just really admire that he took time to get involved because he worked full-time as a lawyer but he still 
came to all the meetings and he was just an inspiration for me, especially being a service member who was used to being a minority and seeing someone who was willingly going to these events and being part of them. And so I think that it's really important to support your spouse through being involved in the spouse community because I think it is still important. And that's one of the ways that you can get involved. And also just supporting your wife as just in her job and her career, just the same way, you know, I support my husband. I don't think there's really any difference in that side of it. Yeah, that's so true. Good point. So my next question is, what have you learned since starting your podcast? Uh, What have I learned? A lot. (laughs) I think... One of the things that I'm still learning, at first I kind of envisioned this being like a straight news show. And then from some of the feedback I got, I think people wanted just a little bit more personality. So trying to have it a balance between like personality and not really trying to insert my opinion though, because this is, I want this to be straight news. And that's, you know, what I'm used to is just like giving the facts um, and not really my opinion. So I think one of the things I've learned is trying to find that balance. And I don't know that I've achieved it yet necessarily, but maybe this, maybe something like this will, you know, add, add some of that. Um, so people can get to know me and get to know you a little bit better, but I don't know. Is that something that you've struggled with as well at all? Or am I just alone in this? No, I was really relating to that because I, one of my fellow podcasters really pushed me to do like a solo episode where I didn't interview a guest. And my podcast is all about like interviewing women. And I was like, I think people are going to be mad at me if (laughs) I like stray from what I've been doing. So the first solo episode I did was seven, seven things I wish I would have known before joining the military. And that ended up being the third most popular, third most popular episode of season one and like by a lot like there was like one two and three were pretty close and the first two episodes of the year were the top two and then the third one was one that I didn't put out until I think October and it just like shot up like a rocket and I was like oh people actually want to hear what I have to say and not just me the interviewer and so that was kind of like an eye-opening So I've started including one solo episode every month where I talk about a different like military topic. And with 2010 was when I deployed and now it's 2020. I'm going to do a lot of like deployment focused stuff talking about my deployment experience throughout the year because I figure it's a good year to celebrate 10 years and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, you're, you have the story that you tell on the podcast, you, you know, other women can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously there's like technical things I've learned too. And also I think it's made me a better interviewer because traditionally, like I said, I've been a print reporter. And so when you interview someone, not the entire transcript of the interview comes out in the story, right? But so people aren't really hearing me interview. Now they are. So I think this is something that's made me a better interviewer, made me to tighten up my questions, ask maybe more leading questions to get people to open up and tell more of their stories so it can help other people. So that'd be another thing I learned. Yeah, I think that's a good. You definitely become a better interviewer, especially if you're doing like weekly episodes because you're interviewing people all the time. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Amanda, one for you. 
What is one thing you could change, if you could, about how female veterans are seen or not seen in the public sector? Female veterans are kind of not seen, so I would like us to be seen. I feel like with a lot of the changes they made in 2016 when they officially allowed women to serve in combat roles, and now with women graduating, like the first women to graduate, Army Ranger, and I wish that those stories told more of the story because a lot of people think that because that law was changed in 2016 that like all of a sudden women are doing all these things and like they don't ever talk about like this happened because women had like the female engagement teams that the army did and like the provincial reconstruction team that I was on in 2010 where I got shot at and the combat medics who were there from the very beginning because they were women and they needed combat medics in the trucks and I think people a lot of the general public think that women were like sitting on base not deploying I don't know But like they don't understand that that we've been fighting the fight. We've been doing this. And even one of the women I talked to for next year, she was a combat medic in like the very early days of the Iraq war. And she didn't get a combat action badge because she was a woman, because she wasn't supposed to be in combat. And so even the like military records of like, awards and medals don't show a true picture of what's happening and then now with all the like publicity that women are getting and it's like it's the first and it's like well kind of like yes they are the first to graduate the school but there's so many women who went before them that broke barriers that never even got recognition not that they were doing it for recognition I just wish people knew what our contribution to the Iraq and Afghanistan war and the desert storm and like all the wars before us, they feel like they just don't understand. We're more than nurses who are just back at the hospital, like even combat medics, like they aren't back at the hospital. They're in the, they're in the Humvees with the people and they're there to help in those situations. And so I think just for people to know our story, and I guess that's why I'm so passionate about what I do, because I'm trying to share those stories. Yeah, well, that leads into another question we got, though. What inspired your podcast mean? So I think your lack of seeing this out there and desire to change that, I think, is is pretty cool. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly why I decided to do what I do. And it's been it's really like therapy for me, because another reason like I do the podcast is because I felt really alone as a woman veteran. And I felt like I was the only one who felt this way. And I especially felt that when I left the military, because all the trainings that the military had were focused on like leaving the military to get a job and not there wasn't any training on leaving the military to be a stay at home mom. And so I felt like If I left the military and I was struggling, that it was kind of my fault because I didn't follow the traditional route. But then I found out from other people who either went back to work or they stayed at home and they felt the exact same way. They like struggled in their transition out of the military. And it was a much bigger deal than the military made it out to be when we were leaving. (laughs) Yep. All right. A question, two questions for you that I'm going to mix into one. What advice would you give people considering joining the military? And should I enlist or become an officer? Maybe that's part of the advice there. So, yeah, I guess that is part of the advice. You should do a lot of research 
you should, I don't know if you should talk to a recruiter or if you should try and find someone like me. So I have a lot of people send me emails who, when they're looking to join the military and if I, and they want to like know what it's like to be a nurse or they want to know what it's like to be something in the army or something in the Navy or even the Marines. And I usually can't answer their questions. So what I do is I go on LinkedIn and I say, I'm looking for a nurse who was in the army. And then I get like too many answers. Yeah, (laughs) It's kind of funny to watch the like LinkedIn feed, just like all these people like sending me private messages and like commenting and they have. And so I think you can go to a recruiter, but if you want like a real the real advice or the nitty gritty that you should try and find someone who's in the military and you can email me and I'll connect you with someone who either I try and like match males with males and women with women because it makes more sense if you have like if you talk to a guy but I just try and get people connected because I ask people at the end of any every interview what would they tell young women who are considering joining the military. And so many times they say, do your research, find out more about what you're signing up for. Don't just listen to what the recruiter says. And I think if you have a mentor or a guide, it can help you make the right decisions so that the military can be a better experience for you. So that would be like my advice to do a lot of research. You have the internet and then you also can easily, if you go on LinkedIn and you can find veterans and get help from people because if you have those people who like military I'm trying to say this right people who serve in the military want to serve because if you join the military it's not a forced thing we're a voluntary service so if when we're veterans and someone comes to us looking for advice and we can serve them like something inside of us kind of like goes crazy and we're like oh I'll help you every way I And so you think that we're helping you, but really you're helping us because we're able to give back to the military, which has meant a lot to us. And we're able to help you in your journey. So definitely reach out to veterans that either if you know and if you don't know any, then you can reach out to me and I can help connect you with the right person. Yeah, that's great. So my turn. What stories should we expect in 2020? Next week's episode, I'll put a plug in for that, um, is about the widow's tax and how the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, that people have heard about by now on a few of my episodes already, the NDAA um, was signed by President Trump into law and it strikes that down. So now widows and widowers will be able to collect the full amount that they're owed going forward. So that's pretty cool. That's coming out next week. You'll be able to hear a widow's story and then um, talk with an advocate who actually lost both of her parents. Um, And so she's a survivor as well. There are a few other stories that are coming out of the NDAA as well. Some changes to suing for medical malpractice some changes for military housing. We're going to revisit that issue. Actually, one of the most popular episodes, um, Amanda, you might remember this one, was um, all of the military housing issues that have been going on. People, lead poisoning in their homes, mold, different things like that. And so there have been some changes coming to how the government is going to start holding these private companies accountable for things like this. So stay tuned for an episode on that. I want to do one on military spouse entrepreneurship as well. So those are just some episodes coming down the pipe here soon. 
All right. My last question for you that I'm throwing in here. What are your podcast goals for 2020? My goal for 2010, 2010, 2019 (laughs) was to hit 10,000 downloads and I did it. I was really excited. And so I'm going crazy and I'm setting a goal to get triple that amount, which would be 30,000 in 2020 or in a total of like 40,000, which sounds super crazy, but also like it's like achievable, but just out of reach. So then it's like a stretch. So that's like my goal is to get to 40,000 downloads by the end of 2020. And I'm also working to get more sponsors. I want to be able to hire either a military spouse or a veteran by the end of the year to help me full time. And so I launched Patreon, which is like a website that helps connect entrepreneurs with people who are supporting like their listeners. So I launched Patreon for women of the military. And then I'm also working to get with advertisers to sell ad space on the podcast so that I can bring in a regular income. Those are my two big goals for the podcast. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on those downloads. Okay, my last question for you is what is your podcasting background? None. (laughs) I guess the majority. Can you tell? (laughs) No, just because like podcasting is kind of new. And like, I think it's actually not numb. You're giving yourself less credit because you have like your journalism background. And so you've done interviews before, but like probably the audio and all that like piece of it is a little bit of the new part where you don't know. But I feel like Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from blogging and like marketing and writing and all the stuff that I've learned. And I use that for podcasting, but all the like audio editing and audio recording and all the that sort of stuff is like all new and different. Yeah, like I've said, you know, print is my background. I've done some on-camera work too. But when I got my master's in journalism at Georgetown, I actually took a class in audio storytelling. And my professor worked at NPR and he was amazing and taught me so much. So that's when I learned like Adobe Audition, how to edit audio. This is a while ago now, but I think one of our, it was our final project or one of our projects was that we had to create a podcast episode. So that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And it was a lot of fun. That was by far my favorite class, I think, of the whole program. So it's kind of stuck with me as something I wanted to do and now felt like the right time. But but yeah, so I, I guess you could call that experience. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. sometimes we think like, oh, I have no experience, but really like our life experience kind of points us to where we need to go. And that's cool that you took a class in college and that it's helping you now when you probably were like, oh, that was fun. I don't think I'll ever use that. Yeah. Well, Amanda, this has been super fun. I'm glad that we got to chat and hopefully people got to know us a little bit better, which is kind of the goal. So yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Where can people find out more about you and your podcast? Where can people follow you on social media? 
So you can follow me on social media with Airman to Mom. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn under Airman to Mom. And you can go to my website, which is www.airmantomom.com. And if you go to airmantomom.com slash podcast, you'll find all the podcast stuff. And yeah. You can find The Spouse Angle on Twitter at The Spouse Angle and on Facebook and Instagram at Spouse Angle Podcast. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military. 